plenty of evidence of wrongdoing. Uh, let me give you some examples. A great international financial institution like Goldman Sachs uh, has, was fined heavily last year for selling a financial product that they knew and the provider of the product knew would almost certainly lose money for those supporting it. And they went ahead and did it. Or a little over a year ago, a gentleman called Raj Rajaratnam was jailed in New York for a very complex fraud which was based on his hedge fund, which lost investors billions of pounds. Well, coming closer to home, uh, we have the spectacle now of our high street banks <coughs> to pay out compensation on what's called payment protection insurance which they sold to people who could not possibly benefit from it. Or what about the eye-watering bonuses paid to top executives of failing banks, which seems to continue? Or Fred Goodwin's pension when he stood down from RBS? Now it's very easy to focus on these financial misdemeanors, but I think if we do, we miss the point of the question. There are much more profound questions to ask about the financial uh, sector. And there are two that I want to deal with quickly this evening. The first is simply, what is the financial sector for? What's it doing? What's its purpose? And then secondly, I want to ask the question, what is it not for? What are the things which it shouldn't be doing? And addressing those two questions, I'm going to do it uh, informed and sharpened by a specifically Christian and biblical framework. So let's take the first question. What is the financial sector for in an advanced economy? Well, the most obvious thing, of course, is that it enables transactions. We have bank accounts. We have debit cards and credit cards. And it enables us to carry out transactions safely and securely. But there's something much more important that the financial sector does. And very simply, what it does is it collects the savings of the private sector, especially contributions to pension funds, but other savings, and it lends it on. And it lends it on to support the real economy, the productive economy. So it can create jobs and produce goods and services. Now this second activity, which is by far the most important activity in the financial sector, is inherently risky. And it's risky for two reasons. The first simple reason is, of course, they may make loans and never be repaid. So there's a risk of default. But there's also a risk which rises from the fact that most people, when they save, want to be able to get their hands on their money. In other words, they deposit short. But many of the investments which are being uh, are being financed are long term. And so the financial sector sets about creating ways in which it can reduce its risks. And one very simple way of doing that is it creates asset markets, financial assets. The problem about that is as soon as it does that, it creates markets for financial assets, then the whole thing comes open to financial wizardry. I could go on some length but I don't think that's really a useful thing to do this evening. Let me now turn to the biblical theme of stewardship. The Genesis story, which we were read uh, just earlier, 
talks about human beings being given authority to rule over the natural order. And in case you think that's a harsh idea, can I remind you that the calling of a ruler in the ancient Near East was to be a shepherd. So how is that stewardship exercised? Well, in the second uh, part of the second chapter of Genesis, verse 15, it refers to the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So the purpose of work and stewardship is to provide for human flourishing, to provide food, clothing, housing, and to enable us to interact in families and communities. Now the point is that the financial crisis arose because the financial sector lost touch with its purpose of sustaining the real economy and jobs, producing goods and services to meet human needs. It focused instead on its own operations, driven by greed and by hubris, the masters of the universe, as they like to call themselves. I hope you listened to that curious story that Jesus told about the shrewd manager recounted in Luke 16. The point is that the manager failed to be a good steward, but he then used his considerable business skills to make life more comfortable for himself. Inviting Jesus' comment, no servant can serve two masters who cannot serve both God and money. I think the application of the financial sector is very clear. They failed to be good stewards of the resources which were entrusted to them in service of the real economy. <laughs> Instead, they sought their own gains, and so they failed to serve God's purposes, as indicated by the Genesis mandate. Secondly, what is the financial sector not for? What ought it not to be doing? And for that we need to go back to the origins of the financial crisis. It arose first in the housing market in the United States. There was a housing bubble generated by the policies of the Bush administration and the Federal Reserve. They were trying to address a serious housing shortage for lower income groups and they were looking for a market solution. And that took the form of low interest rates, what Paul would call ninja mortgages, where ninja means no income, no job, no assets on the part of those who are borrowing. And the whole thing relied on a continuing rise in house prices. That happened for a while, and as house prices rose, everybody got better off, so they then borrowed more money to finance their consumption. The problem then was that interest rates then rose. Many households defaulted, many lost their homes, and that spread internationally to the UK. Now what is the moral issue here? Well, you may know that the Old Testament actually has a very specific ban on lending at interest to fellow Israelites. Deuteronomy 
Do not charge your brother interest on money, food, or anything else that may earn interest. And that was the basis of the anti-usury laws of the church in the Middle Ages. John Calvin thought differently. He noted that the next sentence in Deuteronomy reads, you may charge a foreigner interest. And Calvin said this applied to normal commercial financial transactions. But let's ask the question, why was there an Old Testament ban on usury? <coughs> I think the first reason was simply to prevent accumulation of wealth by the rich. But more importantly, it was to protect the poor. The lender was required to charge no interest and to write off the debt after seven years, if not paid. The moral point is this. If a household is poor and cannot afford basic necessities, such as a roof over its head, then you don't solve the problem with making them loans they cannot afford to repay. You need to provide housing at affordable rents. Now that, of course, was anathema to the conservative right in America. But the logic is evident, isn't it? This is not a problem the financial sector can address. Our moral responsibility is to provide for the poor directly. To finish, let me widen this slightly and pick up two rather more important issues, or two wider issues. The first is, I think we need to re-establish the idea that we need to ask the question, what are the proper economic purposes for economic institutions? Now, teleology, or the examination of purposes for human institutions, is very much out of favour, particularly in economics because it challenges the priority of market forces and the unconstrained evolution of economic institutions. But I think a Christian ethics has to say purposes matter. It is right to ask the question, what is the purpose of this uh, economic institution? And secondly, I think we need to ask ourselves the following question. Is the person our personal use of talents and resources now and in the future, is that consistent with the notion of stewardship? Not like the shrewd manager who simply looked after himself. But let's ask ourselves the question. What are we, or what will we contribute to human flourishing?